0: Good morning, Digital Wildcatters. Welcome to 2023. Happy New Year. Joined today, Kirk Coburn. Good to be Mark here. Meyer. Happy New Year. Colin, of course, is out with his recurring prostate problems. But, you know, <laughs> let's who not are talk we to about judge? that, but it's true. We shall not judge. <laughs> I figured what we'd do today on BDE is let's recap 2022 the year that was energy and it was a crazy freaking year let so, me first
1: congratulate you though on surviving 2022 you're in some crazy places during the holidays so i'm glad to see you
0: it you know i appreciate that it was a it was a bit of a walkabout kind of a crazy uh, journey i think i'll talk more about it on uh chuck yates needs a job the podcast but uh there was a crazy arc of self-realization of self-actualization soul searching all that that literally started with a glass of champagne in the american express lounge (laughs) in i (laughs) a h that went through charlie robeson roger krieger a selena hoodie three uh prescriptions of antibiotics okay that culminated in uh uh, 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 a quote-unquote almost that's uh, that's going on now. So
1: appreciate you that, and Thank you also you, look good. Are you? Are you been? You know, starving
0: myself. Yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah.
2: I except for the say, water burger.
1: No, you, the interesting
0: thing when Pickering gave me shit about getting a single burger, I'm like, I'm counting the calories, Dan. <laughs> I had 750 calories to get, and I I squeaked under it and took the bacon instead of the second patty. So. <laughs> All right, guys, let's jump into this. 2022, the biggest story, clearly the war. Uh, February 21st, Putin launched the invasion, sent the Russians into Ukraine. What have we learned about that? What has it meant? What's the deal?
2: I I think we've learned that uh, these things are a bit more intractable and, and less black and white in terms of you know, what, what the players' motivations are. I'm, I've not studied a lot about the war lately, but I know there's been a lot of back and forth on, you know, our de facto involvement in terms of providing funding and and arms and, you know, kind of what that means for elevating the geopolitical risk for the United States. So um, hopefully we've learned that has gotten a little bit past where I think we wanted it to go. Right. And so you've had Zelensky over here uh, bolstering his position and also going back with a with a pretty big check.
0: Well, going back with Patriot uh, missiles require United States operators operators to to run it. So
2: that's a good point. I mean, in reality, we're a lot more involved than than what the headlines and kind of the arm's length of of this suggest.
1: I mean, I'm going to go down to Zelensky's running around like he's from Hollywood. I mean, I thought when you're in a war, you're hunkering down on your nation, but he's been traveling around. He's here in the U.S. collecting 110 billion dollars. I'd like to see that money go somewhere else, and I don't even know like where's the money going. I, we knew, we think that it went to Sam Friedman, but now he's in jail. So where's that money going? I'm not having seen Is he the in the jail? results or yeah, maybe he's out in,
0: he's, he, oh maybe he's so out. his parents he's out. Two, yeah his parents. he's a 250 million dollar he's trail, under house right? arrest House arrest. i've had mixed emotions on this i've gone back and forth on the one i don't think it's too tinfoil hat to say hunter biden the big guy getting 10 percent from ukrainian interests all of a sudden we're sending 110 billion dollars to ukraine with no audit trail that right. that to me is not a stretch. That is not crazy. That's at least worthy of asking a question. So I have done that. I've the 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 flip side that that I've actually thought through is we've in effect decimated the Russian military for $110 billion. And I go back and forth, is that good or bad? i mean is a neutered putin way more dangerous or is he in effect safer because he can't do anything now i mean he he doesn't have the wherewithal to do But it. When
1: we put it in perspective my, but we didn't have the discussion we, we didn't never have had the discussion that, that's the thing that bothers me which is what uh, probably the next big story about the ongoing pandemic which we might get to and should get to but i think let's look back russia again is a smaller economy than the state of texas so us applauding that we've destroyed a small economy and their military for $110 billion? Was it ours to do? I mean, what's the result of this? I think we're all asking questions, but we're being told not to ask questions. And I think that's probably the bigger story.
0: Uh, that I think is. Um, so where does this take us with <clears throat> Russian sanctions? And, and let's kind of roll that into to oil prices. I think early yeah. on days, my take was, Oil's fungible. You're just turning tankers. And so, yeah, there's a discount involved if I'm going to buy illegal Russian oil, but so, so be it. I get a discount. What does that do? Yeah.
1: Good question. Expert, what say you? Uh,
2: you know, I, I think it continues to <clears throat> impact on the margin, right? It's more event driven than anything else. But I, I don't think the initial take about, the market being pretty fungible, particularly on the oil side, you know, Nord Stream is, is another matter. But, um, you know, I, I, I think it continues to be more political headline grabbing than having any kind of major, their workarounds, which we've seen, right? You've got, I think the Indian uh, energy minister was at I forget what European conference it was, and said we're going to continue to do what's best for uh, for our economy, particularly at, at a point where you know we we've seen, <clears throat> particularly Europe, take a lot of spot cargos of LNG away from non OECD countries like Pakistan that are you know struggling with with their own power generation and gas supply.
1: This is a modern war. I, you know, we've seen. I think Russia's economically doing pretty well. So let's you know, I think the, the story is yet to be told here on this this whole idea. And I think going back to your tin foil hat theory, we should watch and start asking questions. We need to be curious and keep watching because I think there's a bigger story here.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately, if we're relating this back to oil, you made the point, it's the Russian economy and Kenya, they continue to support oil production, you know, to mark to your point, are there still workarounds so that that production actually satisfies demand in the world? And I think the answer to that is yes uh, and the like. But, I mean, those are potentially the two triggers that could cause some haywire in 2023.
2: I I think the convergence of risk, including this, where you don't have, I guess, the technological support and certainly the the maintenance support for the Russian production base— take that more broadly globally. We're going, I think we're running into another year and we can talk about global capex here in a minute, but I think we're running into another year of subdued or depressed capex, which elevates, elevates the, you know, the physical risk that you've talked about, certainly on the, on the Saudi side, they don't have it. I think you've said more than a couple of times in 2022, but you're, you're not doing um, you're, you're not doing, the the level of maintenance work globally i think it's more acute in russia and so you have to think about the physical supply risk is really showing up when you know when we're also facing i think elevated fears of a recession which is going to have somewhat of a contraction impact on demand again a little bit of a head fake in terms of what's going on uh, did you get with the, the underlying numbers?
0: supply base i, I did um, i'd james, love to hear this james west from evercore Thank you, was, James. Yeah, was Shout kind out. enough, kind enough to uh, to send over his list, and I was going to make a chart out of it. It's a, it's an Excel spreadsheet, but kind of the the upshot to this. It's a banker chart. It's a yeah. I sh- I should have made the banker. It's a table, chart. table. It's my, a table of numbers. My yeah my uh you know look, looking at it what what you kind of see is what we all what we all sort of know is you know, you look back and you see worldwide CapEx spend kind of peaking in 2015, you know, almost Mm -hmm. $600 billion and it drops down to, to call it 400 billion and hangs out there in the 400s. And then 2020 COVID boom down to 350, 2021, 370. And this, you know, 2022, we're what, three days out of it, but the estimates kind of, 445. So it did uptick. But Mark and I were talking about this morning, how much of that uptick was just flat out inflation and not real extra.
2: Well, one one thing to keep in mind, you're you're talking about outside of the relatively new wedge that is Permian and Bakken or U S unconventional on the oil side. And I forget the exact brackets, but it was, I believe 2010 through 2000, Fifteen. If you looked at non-U.S. non-OPEC, with a tailwind of the cash flows provided by ninety-two hundred dollar oil, non-U.S. non-OPEC was flat in terms of, of production. So virtually all the growth wedge came from U.S. and conventional.
0: It it actually slightly declined. I mean, you're right to say virtually flat, but virtually technically flat. It has a which a is minus
2: stunning given the levels of spending. Uh, that that you cited which tie back to you know how much maintenance capex how much growth capex there's an increasing amount of maintenance because everything has gotten older i mean goar was brought on the largest field in the world was brought on in 1952 right and and so there there's a you know there's a an accelerating capital intensity both Mm -hmm. conventional and unconventional that just given the, the you know order of magnitude Analysis provided by the the spending today versus the spending at the peak. You know, something's got to give from a maintenance standpoint. So I, I don't ever, think it's gonna be a dramatic fall off a cliff. I we wrote we're talking a blog about this. in
1: maybe twenty thirteen about this CapEx cliff we're about to run over and how technology sort of follows and innovation sort of follows this cliff. We're at a cliff. I mean, at hundred dollars oil, everyone's spending money, you know, ad nauseum to keep production. But now that we have no spend, what's gonna happen? When's when are we gonna hit the cliff? And if not, what's going to happen? Just, just you know, sort of slow production increase what, what regardless think, of price.
0: What I think the bigger deal is is all this technology we talked about, like the natural gas boom, the oil boom. We drilled the first horizontal well in the United States in 1937. Yep. We, you know, what John Wilkes Booth did before he shot Lincoln? He fracked. He fracked. He <laughs> threw dynamite. Down. So I mean, we've technically been fracking forever it's just to your point with higher prices we had the cash where we could finally perfect those things right we went back out to the tool shed we got the tools that have been sitting there and we used i can't i don't see anything sitting here even with 150 dollars oil that's a tool in the tool shed that we can go get and really see a ramp up like we did from call it you know 2010 to 2019 i mean we were we were seeing ips increase like 40 and 50 percent a year on average and when you looked at 18 and 19 they were up like 15 percent each of those years and quite frankly if you took out the chevron and exxon wells that they were late to the party drilling in the uh, permian if you took those out the average well actually declined the ips so I think COVID messed that all up. Who knows where that is? But I, I think if we have a cliff, that is our cliff, you know? I agree. So.
2: Well, there's, there's just a degradation. Reuters had an article this week pointing back to what Scott Sheffield said, I think, at Sarah Week back in the spring about, you know, most companies in the Permian are now drilling largely tier two and tier three. I don't know if that's precisely the case, and part of that's talk in your book, but uh being pretty inventory long but uh there there is a you know a high grading period that we've gone through here with uh constrained capital and i think i think the projections for what the permian for example are going to do in 22 and then the projections for 23 are undershooting what you know what were the same forecast a year two ago let's
0: do this let's kind of make it a mission since i'm doing dry january i'll actually be sober and uh let, let's put some pen to paper and, and maybe over the next couple of weeks, come back and say, hey, here's a projection of what we think supply is going to do and, and here's why. Because I will admit, it's always surprise to the upside to me. So, all right. What about the IRA? That was a big fucking deal, man. <laughs>
1: Where do we start? I mean... <laughs> I'm about to explode on this one, but let's hear go, it. Go ahead. The IRA. I mean, Chuck, what say you? Let me just, I want to hear some original, come on, let's hear it.
0: And I'm going to steal from from Mark because Mark brought this up and I thought this was a really good point, is generally speaking, the way the U.S. government has always worked is we have an objective. We want less of X. We want more of Y, whatever. And they say that, they give tax incentives for it, and they let the market run, right? I mean, that's how we've kind of operated. The IRA really got nitty gritty in terms of, it's not that we want less emissions with cars. We want electric vehicles. And oh, by the way, you get these tax incentives if you manufacture it here, et cetera. And it, it, it got to the point of prescribing outcomes, which, We've never done before or we've done but you know in in such a big transformative
2: well that rate. that that's the primary objective and a lot of what the political motivations are is is ascribing outcomes
1: right? yeah that's that's where i was going I, i'm trying to hold my tongue which you know the ira is uh, we're, we're starting to head politically in projecting what we want to see when it's not realistic so the market's and and sort of the politics and the markets are fighting each other, and we're seeing this across, especially in energy, is where it's really has started. Is like, do we want you know a clean environment? Then let's cut off all oil and gas. But do we want to? You know, if you look during the free, big freeze this year, where was most of our production coming from? How are we heating homes, and saving people's lives in Texas? Just looking at ERCOT spe- specifically it's oil and gas and some a little bit of nuclear a little bit of coal too but when we look at this across like the ira is i think a cluster it's it's another inflation i mean you add that with ukraine and 110 billion we just keep spending money but where is that going it's not really doing anything and as an entrepreneur that watches regulation because that's good opportunity it's like where's the opportunity to make a difference where is their support for that, a business. And I'm like I don't know in the IRA where the real support is because I look at the economics. I'm like, the economics and what the government's trying to spend money on doesn't make sense yet. So Mark Mills gave me this heads
0: up. You can go to, I believe it's Volvo's website, and they've got mm-hmm. a detailed kind of report on carbon emissions from yep. manufacturing process of EVs. I mean, we know what internal combustion engines do, right? We've built a ton of them forever. We yeah, know how much sure. on the road. We don't really know that about EVs. Have, have, did we discuss, well, you know, what's, what's the trade-off on carbon footprint, given that we're going to go spend trillions of dollars transitioning to this? Volvo did that work. And if you look at kind of the worldwide mix of generating electricity mm-hmm. today, and let's say we are going to get better over time, but just where we are today, it's like almost 90,000 miles, I think, you know, which is better. I mean, most cars run more than 90,000 miles, but at the same time, that's a lot of capital to spend for that trade-off. If you look at Europe, which is, for the most part, the most renewable uh, generation out there, it's still like, I think, 65,000 miles or 70,000 miles. And so I mean, we just basically prescribe that that's what we're going to do. And we're not going to break over on each car until I call it 75,000 miles.
1: And I I mean, from from a political standpoint, who cares? The the, if you look at the IRA, that putting this to work, no one really cares that that math doesn't necessarily make sense. Yeah. Do they?
2: And, And they're they're purporting solutions. I forget who said famously that there are no solutions, only trade offs. Right. So if we start to dig into the trade-offs with more granularity, you talk about the, the specific stipulations about what what percentage is, quote-unquote, manufactured here in the U.S. We don't do manufacturing. We do assembly. Right. You know, kind of swim upstream to the, to the raw materials and even things like processed cobalt, most of which comes out of China. And then upstream of that, the raw cobalt, which we've talked a little bit. I know you tweeted about um, Siddharth uh, Kara's uh, cobalt podcast he did with Joe Rogan, you know, addressing that part of the value and supply chain when we're, you know, focusing trillions of what ends up being kind of political largesse to the cynic here in the United States, we don't manufacture anything. There's, there's plenty of trade-offs, some of which are unsavory still, that aren't right. solved by this transition. What are those yeah. trade-offs? The other one, and I know Collins talked a lot about the F-150 Lightning, as a for instance is 35 percent heavier than its Mm -hmm. competitor ice f-150 that has all kinds of negative implications for road maintenance and road safety safety so
0: so let me throw one tinfoil hat thing at you that you're gonna roll your eyes at first but i the source is actually good and well well researched where this is going why did we push towards electric vehicles one we didn't have the discussion of what kind of gain are we really making? You know, to when we talk about, hey, you know, the breakover is like you know, 75,000 miles. Is that really worth the money? You know, it's still. Uh, well, Phil Rando actually tweeted out the reason we want to go to electric cars is because that gets rid of the gasoline tax. And we are going to have to have some system for taxing for road road work, you know, fixing the roads and all. It's going to be tracking in your car because you're going to pay per mile and the government's going to be able to track where we go because you're going to have to have a device. You're going to have to pay taxes based on how many miles you drive. And I, you know, I was kind of pushing back on him because he's a, he's a, he's a dear friend. And I was like, dude, that's even tenfold half for me. He found a provision and I don't know if it was in the IRA, but it was in legislation within the last 18 months where there's the government spending $25 million on a test project to track per miles by cars. Of course. By embedding sensors.
1: The insurance companies have been doing this for at least a decade. So it's not necessarily hard to. The technology is easy to especially do. Especially with phone tracking. I mean, we're already being tracked. So yeah. that's not a, that's not a hard to find. I, I, I think one of the brilliant things, and it's it's evil in some ways, is that economics has always ruled, especially our generation, right? Economics always sort of wins out at the end of the day. But today it's emotion. And EV, I've ne- it's been spectacular to watch and watching this sort of climate space. I called it energy technology now. I just call it climate tech because that's the that's the you know the verbiage now that's the nomenclature. But if you look at some of these policies and trends, it's not based on economics, it's based on emotion. And when emotion gets involved, it becomes religion. And and if you're anti religion, you're out. And so you have to be extremely careful, extremely careful. And that's what's interesting. It's like, we're talking tin foil when this is just, we're observing data that doesn't make any sense. We're going, it's tin foil, because We're afraid to say, this is some scary shit and and it doesn't make any economic sense. And that is sort of against what we've seen and grown up to see in markets, yes or no.
0: And I mean, and it goes back, I think, to your point that you made. We can't have the discussion about it. We're not
1: allowed to. We're
0: not we're not allowed to. Because I actually don't have a problem with the environmentalist movement if they phrased it as, hey, this is gonna be so horrific for mankind and the planet that we have to reduce our standard of living today, at least for a while as we build these technologies. But guys, that means we can't fly around in private jets. That means we can't do this, we can't do that. I acknowledge that there there is a problem with reliability and those type things as we make this transition. And i would be well, that's intellectually honest I, I would be okay with that but the, that's the
2: other doing. part is it's being presented as somehow all the the big global actors are on the same page in terms of transition and if you look at what china and india are doing and some other countries with respect to continuing to build out things like coal-fired power generation which right. just the increment over the last year or two if we get the exact stat has wiped out all the gains that we've made in emissions reduction by switching from coal to natural gas in the US over the last 15 years. Toby Rice talks about that quite a bit on, on, the, uh, on the big grand LNG build out. But uh, the, the assumption that there's, you know, the, the bad actors who are not in the, in, in the boat, uh, will, will say they're in the boat, really want us to continue to push down this path.
0: There is right. no ping and non-ping section of the pool.
1: That's right. <laughs> you <laughs> well, piss in the pool. pool you piss and, in the and and that's,
2: pool. they know the discourse is increasingly, at least in the West and particularly in the United States, the discourse is more and more driven by emotion. I think it's a. I think it's a great point. We can't even well, we can't even raise basic facts of thermodynamics and physics when we talk about some of this stuff for fear of being canceled le- and canceled or labeled a tinfoil tin foil hat. And it. And conspiracy nut job
0: it's proof positive on the economics that <laughs> solar wind are not competitive with coal by the virtue of the fact that two authoritarian governments india and china are choosing to build way more coal than they are solar absolutely wind, china's you know? filled with
1: coal it's yeah. cheap and abundant energy and what yeah. what what economy thrives is they, they the leading economies of the world thrive when there's cheap and abundant energy yeah. So let's just stay right there. Yeah. And when there's no tax for, you know, sort of the cost of which, whether I'm not necessarily advocating for or against, but if coal has no real tax against it because the environmental impact is not shared, if there is one and how to measure it, then I mean, the Chinese are getting away scot free. And, and as a business person, wouldn't you do the same? Yeah, You're, you want an advantage. And if yeah. you could use a cheaper source of inputs, yeah. and, and and sell the same outputs for the same price, or maybe even cheaper, you're going to win.
0: Yeah. All right, let's do this. <clears throat> kind of rapid fire, but not hugely rapid fire, because we're all kind of old. We're old. <laughs> as and we're starving, we and we're dry. I mean, yeah, we're exactly. Yeah,
1: exactly. We're hungry right, and pissed.
0: Let me let me hit mm. on. Four or five other big stories that happened this year. You know, a take Let's or, hit it. A take or two. All right. Twitter Musk takeover. What, is, what mean, does that
1: mean to energy? What does it mean for energy? Um, not much. I don't think it matters a lot for energy. However, our buddies and those that we follow are not going to be canceled, we think. So good news is I think we're having a better debate and we get to see people that are actually telling truth about oil and gas are going to be still on a social media platform. I like that, but I don't think it's going to have a big impact. That's my take.
2: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, we have seen some more recent suspensions that have crossed over into areas that at least appear to be counter to what Musk believes individually, uh, which I think Rando got canceled or suspended for something fairly benign recently and then right. got back on but
0: relative to rando well <laughs> anyway I'd we, love you we
2: also have to remember that how much of the universe is actually on twitter and then the subset of that that is energy not much
0: that 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 actually was a great point that was made last night during the, the mm-hmm. football game i blanket on the name of the player demar demar Got hurt, was sitting there. I saw an interview with somebody that said, you know, 5% of the world jumps on Twitter and blames somebody, mm. and that's what they do. The DeMars charity raised $3 million since wow. last night because he does toys for tots, basically. Mm. Uh, it's a great story. In his, home, in his hometown where he went to college. And 95% of Americans, when something goes bad, are good people and they try to do something, not that that is going to save DeMar's life by giving to Toys for Tots, but they try to do a good action to make something better. Right. And so I think, I think that that was something that I, I, I knew, but I didn't fully appreciate, but it was really nailed home very well last night.
1: I mean, it's nice to see a country always falls from within It never is attacked. And when you're weak internally is when you are easy to attack. When 9-11 happened, we saw a rally of nationalism, of people rallying. I think we saw that last night. And it was nice to see. Now, there are a lot of people that are asking very good questions, but which goes back to our sort of sort of cancel culture. We're not allowed to ask some of the obvious questions that we saw with that event, but it was nice to see the rallying. And I saw it a lot on Twitter, which is, you know, it's a town, you know, it's a town gathering spot.
2: I mean, and, there, yeah. there were things going on with uh, more recent convulsions in China, pushing back on the extreme lockdowns uh, videos of which you couldn't find anywhere else, but Twitter.
1: Yeah, this is true. Good point.
0: No, that's a, that's a really good point.
2: Colin's talked about that before and I I do find like an energy news and I always use the example of pioneer and parsley way back when it happened, you know, late on a Friday and going into a weekend, you wanted to know more you know, the, the, the denizens of Twitter were actually putting out very useful facts and figures around that deal that you didn't have to wait for, you know, most of the brokers put out their notes on Monday. And the cool
1: part of Twitter just is that sometimes if in your feed someone likes something and it hits your feed, you get to see the, the people like my wife saw something that I tweeted about that guy on the oil field in the middle of the night when it was way below zero, his hard hat was frozen over with ice. And he's keeping the lights on. I'm like, and and it just sticks with you that, wow, there are people on the wall protecting us from freezing to death. And they're working in an environment where, man, they're just like five minutes from, from freezing to death or dying themselves to help us. You don't see that anywhere else because you're not that's, gonna go looking for that.
0: Yeah, that's true. So, all right, <clears throat> Twitter must, let's shift to Europe, energy crisis, Nordstrom
1: any well, any any take in there you know I follow Europe all the time because I think there are I really like watching sort of the what happens in Europe I think Europe their energy crisis is big because of policy decisions by individual countries like Germany is such a great story about making really stupid decisions about trying to get rid of cheap energy for the environment and then getting screwed because energy costs are just too high and they have to import Russian oil, or they're they can't. Renewables are just not cutting it. So Europe is sort of un, unfortunately too woke. They're not making great economic decisions into Russia and Ukraine, which just makes it even more interesting. Let's hand it over now with that background. Nord Stream.
2: Yeah, I mean Nord Stream is is the kind of acute element of all this, and I think Germany is is really the. The, 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 poster, Center. the poster yeah. child the of all of this. I read somewhere, I, I think it was Dunberg pointed out in, in a piece that, you know, Germany effectively spent half a trillion dollars on a scramble for emergency coal and LNG supplies to get through and prepare for and stockpile. They have a ton of lignite. What What could you, you know, what could you do with that capital, so to speak, to build out things like nuclear which enter the conversation on both sides now um you know this warm weather that we're seeing here for an extended period is certainly helping dodge the bullet but do we want to go into every winter and i'll, I'll sidebar this a little bit because you have two of the leading voices out there um fatih Biral with the iea and Sec- secretary general Guterres every chance they get talk about needing to accelerate the transition with nothing but a focus on kind of the nouveau renewables and wind and solar, for example, with no conversation really about, you know, the the criticality of of building base generation, generation, LNG, and nuclear. And so, you know, I, I think there's, you know, there's a collision potentially if we run into a situation where we're not betting on black in the weather casino every year and coming up black. It it might come up red. Yeah. yeah. Right. So.
0: <clears throat> yeah. No, I, I mean, I think, uh, the way to look at Europe is they got really freaking lucky with warm weather. You know, uh, I mean, yeah. they, they, they really did. And if they don't take it as we got lucky, then it's only going to be worse next winter. Right. So, all right. One other thing we need to throw out there. So we had winter storm Yuri in, you know, back, what, February 21. Mess, shit show. We passed Senate Bill 3 of 2021. Basically, they call it the Winterization Act, if you will. Railroad commission implemented it this summer. I am going to go on record because I did a podcast. Mark this down. I'm going to go on record. I did a podcast where a big water flood operator came on, the guys from BASA, and basically said, hey, they're deeming us critical because they want our 52 MCF of gas a day, but our load's 30 megawatts. And so we're not going to be able to participate in the load shedding program when the shit hits the fan. So don't think you made this any better. I ranted about the railroad commission during that. I will give them credit. The Railroad Commission actually took that under advisement, sorted through it. They were, the the original plan was gonna be, well, we'll have a hearing, we'll sort of it out. And I was like, well, who's gonna spend a million bucks to go through a hearing? I'm just gonna let you deem me critical. But anyway, I think they got it right. We had problems with ERCOT this summer. If we didn't have a rainstorm in Central Texas on one day, we would have had blackouts. But we actually went through our recent freeze okay. So, Mixed bag on that but slightly to the positive before we
1: talk about this i just want to mark something blackrock listens to bde and makes decisions now we have another data point that the railroad commission listens to bde and follows our advice kudos to you no
0: i i nathan magoo who came on and was so gracious to talk that through i actually think that podcast wound up bouncing around to relevant people and, and made a difference. So I actually do. That's my story. And I'm sticking to it.
2: I, I think, and this is amateur meteorologist or weather observer. I, I think one of the big natural differences between Yuri and what we just went through over the Christmas holidays is that this was a much drier event. We didn't have a whole bunch of precipitation, True. snow and ice. And which, shorter. Right. But you know, relatively speaking i think we observed up in south dallas otherwise known as the woodlands (laughs) a low of. you said
1: south dallas immediately
2: thought a low of 14 or a low of 14 or 15. and it was surprisingly persistent but what you did notice was that you weren't having to go out and tent your pool equipment with you know your tailgating tents that ultimately collapsed because they got too much snow on them but It was, it was a relative relatively dry event that moisture causes a lot of problems. Yeah. Otherwise.
0: Good point. We'll, we'll still let you off the hook a little bit, railroad commission. All right, let's do this. Predictions. I'm going to ask you for what's oil price at the end of 2023. And then number two, give me a prediction. So
1: if you, if you go to oil prices, you can't be in the middle. You got to be extreme to be effective And when, I'm gonna say it's thirty seven dollars at the end of thirty seven. I'm going to thirty seven, and and I could have gone high.
0: What drives that? What's what's your rationale? Well,
1: first it goes to vacation, and it's a good movie quote. But I think (laughs) I'm gonna see that I think the people are gonna rebel. I think there's gonna be a massive. Well, this goes to my big, um, my big prediction. I think that there's gonna be another huge COVID event in this year. I I believe that. Um, So it's going to
0: be, it's it's basically going to be demand driven. I think it's, I
1: think the economy is going to suck this year. I think we're seeing like startups had a really hard year last year, raising money, funding's down. There's a ton of dry powder, but I think startups (laughs) had a hard time. They're going to have an even harder time this year. Stocks didn't do well last year. I think we're headed straight into a long recession. Which is to keep oil prices suppressed. And I think we're gonna have see more supply online unless there's another war, which barring, yeah, you know, I go higher low, I'm going thirty seven dollars, and that's that's my take, and
0: I'm sticking to it. So that's oil price prediction too? It's that was,
1: massive, massive, that was
0: outbreak. 37.
2: Does massive that have, outbreak. Does that have a plus sign in front of it?
1: Yeah, Yeah,
2: Yeah. didn't we hit minus thirty seven? Wouldn't that? Wouldn't that the? I'm
1: doing a plus, and I was thinking about golf handicaps, like that would be pretty interesting. But yeah, no thirty seven. All right, Mark,
2: I'm going to go to. We continue to muddle through this tedium, both on the demand side, but I think the um, and well, first prediction is the Astros repeat, which hasn't been done since the Yankees did it in 2000. And that was the end of a three-peat. Are you gonna buy a bunch of gallery furniture? <laughs> yeah, okay. I did that last year. Okay, all right. And so I was in. That's the, how you show your. I, I was in the two x payoff Ooh, category. So nice, I, Bam. Anyway, um, I think uh, I think energy remains the place to be and the place to go for equities. I don't think you have a lot of, you know, certainly high growth valuation case to move elsewhere, I think fixed income and bonds are problematic for a lot of the reasons you outline. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because I spent a portion of my Wall Street career working for Matt Simmons and Jerry Castellini, I think I've got to be a bit more of a of a uh, constructive bull or maybe a perma bull, as they, they were often called. I, I think we muddle around and end up pretty much right about where we are in the high 80s to low 90s. And I'll put a- Loser. I'll put a 92.9 KSRR, I think was the the call sign for a good rock station in Houston that's no more. And um, the prediction would be that for another consecutive year that energy equities broadly outperformed the market in tech. Um, Dan Rice III, who was a legendary CIO PM in Boston for a number of years, I remember in my early analyst days. I predicted in 2000 that energy was going to outperform again in 2001 and he said never make that prediction because it never comes true
1: let mm-hmm. me ask you a question to build it down didn't. on this walt disney stock versus exxon mobile boom at the end of the year this next at the end of this year who's going to perform better
2: i think exxon continues to perform better all right you, you've got making it real once again trying to make it real. You, you've got cash flows in the three to four times oh and Anyway, that's
0: once again you two are wrong. Oil ends the year at one twelve ninety-six. That's
1: hot right there. You're going what, big.
0: I'm, I'm going big because but the equities <clears throat> actually decouple. So energy equities are relatively flat during the year. It's the commodities year to run. So I would be on the NYMEX, not uh in the stocks to play on this. This is going to be driven by a an unexpected uh, supply shock to the downside uh, because I think the, the the chickens are finally coming home to roost on the CapEx issue. But like we said, we're going to do some math on that and see if that holds out. The prediction for the year, and I hope this does not happen, so don't take this as I'm rooting for it. Russia, Putin, in a debilitated state, uses a nuclear weapon in the Ukraine and Damn. I hope that does not happen, but that is my prediction. I don't know that we have the world leader anywhere to deal with that. And that that's what I'm very frightened of. If that happens, then all bets are off on, on oil prices. You I, could be right, I could be right.
2: I, I was going to point out the irony of a guy entering dry January wearing a shotgun Willie T-shirt. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs>
1: I want to call it a a nice quarter guy's Twitter handle because his reply yesterday, I was like, this guy, I hope he's right. I mean, I don't hope he's right, but I love his prediction. Two facts, Freeport will never export another molecule. So as a surfer that hangs out and surfs Quintana, that's interesting. Secondly, it'll be seven degrees in every major population center for the next three months. So I hope nice quarter guys were following and watching him to see if that's true or not.
0: All right, let's do it. We have Mark Myers, very own finger of the week. (laughs) (laughs) Pitch off by the way all right Mark lay it on us and, the and other, in Stone? other it's in other
2: in other sobering thing. and very serious news Rolling Stone came out earlier this week or last week with its top 200 singers of all time Notably absent from the list and this is really about the list so the finger goes to the list is and I'm not a fan but you have to say that how do you how do you leave Celine Dion off the list? How does Taylor Swift rank ahead of Roger Daltrey? <laughs> How is Freddie Mercury not in the top five? Oh, and there's other notable notable snubs: Pat Benatar, none of the BGS. This is going to so, Twitter.
0: So, 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 what was the criteria for greatest singer? Just pure vocal ability? What was? No, that? it's
2: not purely vocal talent. Otherwise, you probably don't have Bob Dylan at fifteen. Yeah. It's it's the whole kind of when you first hear it. Is it? that transcendent you know who it is Genet Genet quoi, there
1: me. is no fine prints rolling stone top 200 you don't even have to ask we just know that's why it's finger of the week is because Celine Dion's not even there all right so I like that who was number one Aretha Aretha.
2: okay Whitney I, I Whitney, Whitney Houston number two
1: okay I can live with that okay I don't I mean I'm not sure I'd put them one two but we're gonna sell this on Twitter I think I know probably I know that Chuck Yates
0: was not on that list.
2: So. Who, who would Chuck Yates' number one be?
0: Um, you know, where where I have that discussion is actually greatest lead singer, and that takes in stage presence, all that sort of stuff. And I've always said it, it's Mick or it's Freddie. You know, I mean, as much as I love David Lee
1: Roth, it's... it's oh, it's, I knew that. it's I, Mick. for some reason, just... Heard you before you even said David Lee Roth because that bounced in my head, and then you said it. We came here to What's entertain going on, you. Man. Leaving
0: here, we aggravate you. Don't you know? Sammy's it means better. The same to us?
1: Sammy is better Vocals. for Van Halen.
0: I'd but... rather go get a beer with Sammy, but he's not a better vocalist. I mean,
2: Reed, re- read that. Ted Templeman's book about oh, the the whole discovery and production of Van Halen. Very early on, there was a a, a thought, an inclination that. He had to actually replace Twice. in the seventies DLR with Sammy Hagar. Yeah. Where where no, was that's...
1: Chris Cornell on that list? Because SoundGarden's front man was a genius vocalist.
2: Not there. Not that I saw.
1: Okay. That's my that's why I give them a finger.
2: Nora <sighs> Jones wasn't there, Nat King Cole wasn't there. You know, like I said, Pat Benatar wasn't there.
0: I'm I'm totally down with giving Rolling Stone it every week. They've lost them <laughs> Digital Wildcatters, thank you for joining us on BDE. We will be neck We will be back next week. Hopefully, Colin will repair his prostate in the uh, in the following week. If you like the podcast, please comment. Please download it. Share it with friends.